Spirit of the living God fall afresh on us. Amen. In a few days' time, I and a group of 40 or so pilgrims will leave Atlanta for the Holy Land. We'll go for all sorts of different reasons, some to study history, others to embark on an internal journey. There'll be those who are fascinated by the interweaving strands of culture and the sometimes clashing identities of politics and religion. Yet all of us will come back with a great many photographs. Of the stupendous number of images that I captured there last year, one of my favorites is from the Mount of Olives, looking over the old city of Jerusalem on the hill across the way. The golden dome of the Al-Aqsa Mosque dominates the skyline almost any way you look at it. From where we were standing, it was possible to capture a view of the dome of the mosque beneath a run of barbed wire that crisscrossed the wall in front of us, marking out, as everywhere else, where to go and where not to. Beauty and danger, wonder and fear. It's the land of Israel all over, a place of contradiction if ever there was one. Between where we stood and the old city walls were the tombs of Jerusalem's dead, one cemetery for Jews, another for Muslims, and one on Mount Zion for the Christians. Even in death, or perhaps especially in death, space is contested. As Phil Cousineau, the doyen of the modern pilgrim's way, says, to go on pilgrimage is to enter into a contested space by its very nature. Cousineau calls the pilgrimage the journey that we cannot not take. It is the journey you take to remember the mysteries you forgot at home. The passage we hear in Matthew's gospel today has a similar point to make. It is because we are to be those who will not hide the light of the world behind a bushel basket, but put it up on a lampstand that we must continue to work on remembering that which we so easily forget. For the light we are to illuminate creation with is not of our own luminosity, but Christ's light that shines through us. And that is a light a mystery, although one we have always carried with us, yet is a gift that we so often neglect to be mindful of. And so we go on pilgrimage. To remember the mystery that is the light of Christ is why we journey, why we go on pilgrimage, whether to Jerusalem or to the grocery store, in the hopes that the movement will stir us out of our spiritual slumber. At its best, it is why we come to church, too. You are seated here on these unreasonably hard wooden benches, not to long for the comforts you have at home, but to recall the mystery, the wonder, the vision for life that without the journey you would still remain forgetful of. We come here 
for God to speak into our lives the deeper soundings that our search for meaning could not uncover by itself. We come here to be moved and to move. Yet movement requires friction. You won't make your way across the valley from the Mount of Olives, from Gethsemane, the place where Jesus felt the intensity of God's grace and the world's sin, and on to Jerusalem, the city on a hill, until you feel your own friction as Jesus felt his. One of the elements of returning to the scriptures each week in places like this one is that they remind us that we belong to a tradition that prizes friction highly. Biblical scholars call it the prophetic writings. And each year, the lectionary, the cycle of readings the church lays out to be read on Sunday through the church year. We get a taste of the great prophetic voices of Jeremiah, Amos, and Hosea, and today, Isaiah. They are voices that are intended to great with our own. If we let the words sink in, they should in some way or other unsettle us. Take Isaiah from today's prophetic text. It becomes immediately clear that Isaiah was good with friction. Why do we fast but you do not see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? Isaiah is mimicking the people who have appeared to not be concerned with those around them struggling for a better life. Is this not the fast that God requires? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into your house. Those whom Isaiah admonishes apparently serve their own interests and oppress their workers, quarreling and fighting that renders their fast, their religious expressions of piety, void. The context of this part of the book, sometimes called Third Isaiah, is significant. For it's believed that this section is composed not when the people were struggling out in exile, but when they had been restored to their homeland, when they had made their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. It was a time when they had seemingly so quickly forgotten the hardship of their forebears in exile. Their relative comfort made them amnesic for the mystery of grace. Comfort will do that for you every time if you let it. Mostly because when we get comfortable, when we have more than we need, we sink into place and forget our need for movement. Similarly, the religious life, which is what we are currently and collectively engaging in right now, will not do us any good if there is no traction for the body to move by. A faithful life, on the other hand, knows that it needs to be prodded and pushed, cajoled into action more often than not. For Jesus' first followers, that was the point of the law. 
It is easy for us to dismiss the ministry of the Pharisees, conditioned as we have been to see them as a singular whole, an entire category of religious people whose only intention is to waylay the people of God. Christianity has practiced a category error, a kind of ecclesiastical racism, if you would, towards the Pharisees in its propagated reading of Scripture that is neither accurate nor justified. Pharisees were lay people who, unlike the ordained Sadducees, believed that the law of the Lord was both written in the Torah and spoken to the people, and so a living thing. Furthermore, the reason why we meet the Pharisees in so many of Jesus' encounters in the gospel is because they were dispersed away from the temple, making the case in the local communities for how God was still acting in the lives of God's people. In other words, the Pharisees, not dissimilar to their prophetic forebears, were agents of friction. They saw it as their mission to get the people on the move, a people beyond Jerusalem and its temple who were largely disconnected and often forgotten from cultic religious life. Jesus proclaims the ongoing significance of the law in our gospel today in recognition of that fact, yet offers a different orientation to it. Not to perfect adherence to the letter of the law, but to a life lived where we are changed by the author of the law, God manifest in Jesus himself. Jesus as Isaiah before him, was speaking to the point of tension, to the place where the people might be moved on from their self-centered inertia. So what about you? What is keeping you stuck to your spot? It's a question that only you can answer, but essential to address if you are to recover the sight that has been lost to the blindness of self-sufficiency in this life. We are made to be movers toward grace, to be pilgrims who know that without the journey, we shallow out. Where will you find your point of tension, your contested space that will give your growth the momentum it needs to go deeper once more? The beauty of it all, of this life of faithfulness in Christ Jesus, is that we don't have to board a plane to be on the move. Sometimes the distance we need to travel is as small as crossing over to the other side of the aisle, or of town, or even our own homes. Christ's light living in us is a given for life's pilgrim's way, to see it, to touch it, to know it, however, requires for us to get up, stumble forward, and feel the lightness of grace when we remember that movement was what we were made for all along. Amen.